0: Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If this is your first show, hi, my name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring these episodes every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. Back today with another episode that includes both somebody that I would say is from the agribusiness side, although this time it's it's an agronomist, so he's very much a uh, a farm uh, on the farm, hands-on type of agribusiness, as well as a farmer, a farmer producer. Uh, today's farmer guest is from North Dakota, and we're going to be talking about something that maybe doesn't come across immediately as extremely sexy. It's not the new, latest, and greatest shiny object uh, for the industry, or you know something related to artificial intelligence or uh, you know cloud-based systems. Um, but it's really getting to the heart. Of the reality of what's going on on the farm level. It gets to the question of with today's uh, data available, can we question some of the basic decision making that we're making? On the farm. And we're back with a repeat guest, Dr. Curtis Livesey from Dynamite Ag. And one of his that he calls his misfit farmers uh, as well on the show with us today is Scott Wetstein, who's a farmer in Edgerwood, North Dakota, in the southeast part of North Dakota. So, uh, as you know, if you've listened to the previous episode with Dr. Curtis Livesey, we started talking agronomy and then we started getting into some of the work he's doing in the cannabis industry. And I, I just uh, got really curious about that. And the, the episode ended up being a lot about cannabis and not as much about agronomy. So I really wanted to bring Dr. Livesey back on to talk about the agronomy work he's doing. And with this new format we're toying with, definitely wanted to bring on uh, one of uh, his misfit farmers and we have with Scott. So had a really good conversation with these guys. A lot of it centers around nitrogen. And uh, to kind of conceptualize or contextualize this conversation, we're just looking at uh, the sort of objective way that Dr. Livesey and, and the farmers he works with are looking at nitrogen efficiency use, meaning uh, how do we make sure we're more precise with the amount of nitrogen we put on uh, it, so that the plant still has plenty of nutrients. However, um, we're not you know, spending extra money for nitrogen that won't get utilized or that even worse may cause environmental impact. So uh, this is one example of how Dr. Livesey works with his farmers, and they take very fundamental questions and and kind of question their assumptions and see if, uh, if the research supports what they see on their farm. And uh, if you haven't checked out their uh, Facebook or YouTube videos, check out Dynamite Ag. Uh, they're also on Twitter. Um, you can see some of the work they're doing, and I think it's really, really interesting. So if you're the type of person who likes to think for themselves and likes to really make data-based decisions uh, on your farm, if you're a farmer... I think this is something you're really going to enjoy. And for the rest of us, I think it's just a really, really fascinating look at the farm level and how new technologies can cause us to maybe question our assumptions uh, when it comes to basic decision-making on um, quote-unquote conventional wisdom. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Curtis Livesey of Dynamite Ag, as well as Scott Wettstein, a farmer in Edgerwood, North Dakota. Well, longtime listeners will remember the first time we had Dr. Curtis Livesey on the program from Dynamite Ag. Uh, If you heard that episode, you know, the episode kind of took a a tangent away from agronomy and into, uh, well, still in agronomy, but into the work he's doing in the cannabis industry. And I really wanted to bring Dr. Livesey back on to talk more directly about the work he's doing with row crop farmers uh, through Dynamite Ag. So we have on the line, not only uh, Dr. Kurt from Dynamite Ag, but also Scott Wettstein, who's a farmer from Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Thank you guys both for being on the show.
1: You bet, Tim. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, well, we've been doing these episodes where we get to bring on somebody kind of more from the agribusiness side or the non-farming side and then also a farmer. And it's always really interesting for me to get both perspectives. But um, maybe just as some background as we dive into things here, uh, Dr. Kurt, for those who didn't hear the first program or maybe need a refresher, can you just give us a brief description of what Dynamite Ag does?
1: Yeah, you bet, Tim. So Dynamite Ag is my consulting, I should say sales and consulting company that we started back in, I'd have to go back and look, because either 2011 or 2012, I think was when we actually incorporated. And, you know, we just kind of take a little bit of a different approach, I guess, to agriculture compared to a lot of the Uh, university or even other independent agronomists, um, I really pride myself on research. And the main thing that I push for our growers is education. So I do a lot of research, both, you know, reading, uh, like published journal articles, and uh, I guess in my mind, kind of focusing on those things that appear to be a little bit on the fringe, but that still have some validity. So uh, we don't want to dive off into snake oil, but at the same time, I don't think there's any companies out there trying to make a bad product. And so we got to kind of sort and out and separate the wheat from the chaff. So that's kind of what we do. And then when we do enough testing and find products that actually work, then I'll actually take those on and promote those for my growers. And we've just been blessed enough to have a, a really cool, tight-knit group of farmers uh, all across the United States that... Uh, as we talked about in the last episode, I kind of call them our, our uh, my misfit farmers, which is a reference back to that uh, Claymation uh, or whatever it was, Rudolph movie from back when I was a kid where he ends up on the island of misfit toys. And it's, it's guys that are motivated and gutsy enough to try things different. And it really seems to be working out pretty well for us all. And when you first started Dynamite Ag, is that,
0: is that what you had in mind? Is like, oh, I'm going to develop this community of these misfit farmers and we're going to do all this <clears throat> fringe stuff and uh, kind of revolutionize the way agronomy is handled uh, through that way? Or uh, what was kind of the first, take us back to kind of that first moment when you started Dynamite Ag that convinced you, okay, this is what I'm going to pursue.
1: Yeah, that, that was always the big vision. Uh, full disclosure, it didn't it didn't necessarily start that way. Um, I started out working with a company called the Conklin Company, which is a great company. Uh, they got a line of, you know, uh, micronutrient starter fertilizers, et cetera. And I really like them. And please know, I mean, absolutely no disrespect to any sales rep out there. Okay, But at the same time, I didn't want to be, quote unquote, just a sales rep for anybody. Again, I, I like Conklin a lot, but I just didn't want to be limited to them. Uh, I also do some work with 360 Yield Center now, which Scott has been a, a very integral part of doing that. We've worked together on that stuff. Um, but I've always had this, this kind of bigger vision of, you know, sales was great, but I want to be the guy who, like I said, is, is independent in the sense that I do the research first, I work with the growers first, and then we'll figure out what works best for each of our individual growers. So in practice, no, that wasn't how I started out, but in theory and in the grander vision, yes, that's what we've always been shooting for.
0: So, Dr. Kurt, you mentioned, you know, the different approach you take from a lot of other groups uh, related primarily to research and education. Was was there one topic in agronomy particularly that, that prompted you to say, okay, I'm going to go on this different path? Um, or ha- how did you kind of decide that this was the direction you
1: wanted to go? Uh, that's a great question, Tim. And the answer is definitively yes. I mean, it was, without a doubt, it was nitrogen. Uh, what happened was I had a really good friend of mine and one of our misfit farmers, a guy by the name of Ben Peterson who farms up in Northern Iowa. And Ben is actually the brother of one of my wife's best friends. So that's how we met. And I had been doing some some research with um, another farmer, a good friend of mine by the name of John Progel in Eastern Iowa. And so we had kind of all been talking about like, hey man, you know, I was getting ready to do a presentation and everybody knows nitrogen moves, you know, through the soil profile with moisture, et cetera, et cetera. And I got to thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, everybody knew the world was flat too. Um, and that's usually a pretty dangerous thing when everybody knows something. So John Progel and I first started doing this where what we would do is we'd take and we'd go pull soil samples like every three inches all the way across the row. And we would send those off to Midwest labs individually. And a lot of times what the universities or your local agronomist will do is they'll go pull something similar, but then they'll mix them all up and put them, send them in one bag. And what that does is that tells you, the way they're doing it tells you uh, a rough idea of how many pounds you have in the soil, but what it doesn't tell you is where that nitrogen is concentrated, and so it's, it's based on what we've found to be a very faulty assumption that that nitrogen is is uniform in the soil profile because it's not, particularly if you're side dressing, whether you're using uh, you know, 28 or 32% UAN or um, anhydrous, anything that's going to band it, what we found is it doesn't move very far side to side. It predominantly moves down. And so I was, I had been doing that research with, um, John Pragel, and then my buddy Ben and I got to talking about this and I said, Ben, there's got to be a better way than, you know, putting this nitrogen out here in the middle of the row. Uh, and he said, well, I just heard about this company called 360 Yield Center. And so, um, that was actually my first exposure to 360 with their Y drops. So I actually out- reached out to Greg Sauter out of the blue and I emailed him and I said, Mr. Sauter, you don't know me, but here's the research I've been doing. And I actually sent him all my stuff. So I was very proud to kind of be on the ground floor of the 360 thing to help them out. Because like I said, that's, that's a kind of a prime example of doing the research first. And then it's just ballooned from there because the more that we've researched this, it's kind of like that, you know, uh, that, that scene in the matrix where, you know, which, which pill do you take? And if you take the right one, you're going to go pretty deep in the rabbit hole. And so, um, Fast forward a couple of years and then Scott and I are working together um, and I'll let him tell you the story of how we met, which is kind of funny, but um, Scott and I are working together. He's got a Y drop and he's really taken that research to the next level as far as like doing, you know, not just soil tests out in the middle of the row, but replicated strip trials on the farm, um, multi-year research. I mean, it's, it's crazy the amount of work that he's actually putting into this and it's awesome to see the kind of data that he's getting from it. And the results that he's getting back are like way beyond challenging the status quo because those, the, that foundation that we built of pulling these samples across the row that kind of opened our eyes is now being verified and then some um, by what Scott's been doing. So it's really cool to see that research start kind of like with a theory or a question and then balloon into this giant thing uh, that has been really turning some heads. Excellent. And uh,
0: I want to get to talk to Scott a little bit more about that. Before we do, though, for, for those listening that are not agronomists or farmers, can you uh, sort of define some of the jargon here? Like, what are Y-drops and what, what do you mean by 360? Can you help, uh, help those of us not in, in that part of agriculture understand
1: you bet, you bet, Tim. So 360 Yield Center is a company that was started by Greg Sauter. And um, Greg, most everybody will recognize that name when I say he's also the man who started Precision Planting. So that's a really well-known ag company. Seems like everybody knows about Precision. So he started Precision. Uh, he turned around and sold that and then started 360 afterwards. And uh 360's flagship product is the Y-drop, and what it is is it's a drop where basically you, you drop a tube straight down from your sprayer, and then at the base of that tube, there's a, a deal that's it's a, kind of like a Y-shape that, that angles, it's got two hoses, and it angles off um, towards both rows of corn. So you're driving down, so you've got a 30-inch row, you're driving down the middle of the row with this tube hanging down directly in the middle, but rather than dropping or injecting nitrogen right there in the middle of the row, these two uh, tubes, uh, hydraulic hoses, that stick off will actually then place that nitrogen over right near the base of the plant, and so what we find is that the the plant doesn't have to work near as hard to get that nitrogen. And you know, back to the uh, the four R nutrient stewardship, which is kind of a big thing like in sustainable ag, really, and in agriculture in general. Uh, the right source, right place, right time, and right rate. Those things are all connected. So at least in theory, if you're using um, you know better placement, so if you're putting it closer to where the plant can get it, then you should be able to back the rates down. Similarly, if you're going out there at a later timing, closer to when the plant needs it, then you should be able to back those rates down. And so again, that's where, again, Scott has come in and started doing this crazy amount of research that's like, okay, how he's really testing the limits of like how low can we, can we do that or how, how far can we take that theory and that's where again he's starting to see some pretty exciting things excellent okay so if we can more
0: precisely place the nitrogen exactly where the plant is going to utilize it uh we don't need to use as much nitrogen is is sort of the hypothesis right
1: Yes. And additionally, I should point out, you know, I'm, I'm part of back to the Dynamite Ag dealer. What is Dynamite Ag, Tim? Um, my, my major goals are economic and environmental stewardship. Um, again, I never try to be preachy, but I believe that God put us here for a reason and stewardship is a big part of that. The land is his, not ours. And so I think that it's an unpopular thought among ag people. And I've, I used to never say this if I was in like a super public place because I didn't want to get all the farmers ticked off at me. And then I realized that I'm not for most farmers anyway. We're for that small subset of guys like Scott. Um, And that is that, you know, the stuff that's going on in the, in the Gulf, um, Gulf of Mexico, and some of these different watersheds, it's unpopular, but guys, it is us in agriculture. We are the ones that have been over-applying nitrogen, and I know that, again, based upon the research we've been doing. So really, it's it's what makes sense environmentally, and it's what makes sense economically, and it's really unfortunate that like this idea of sustainable ag has been so politicized where you know, kind of the, the far left end of the spectrum, I think, has kind of co opted that term of, of sustainable ag, which again is, is really unfortunate because that's really what this is. I mean, it's if you think about how low can we drop our rates and still maximize our profitability, again, you've got, you know, less potential loss, less environmental pollution, and a lot more money in your pocket. So at the end of the day, everybody wins.
0: So we have one of those uh, quote unquote misfit farmers on, on the line. Scott, I don't know uh, if you embrace that term or not, but Scott Westine from uh, Lidgerwood, North Dakota a farmer there. Uh, Scott, maybe if you could start off just telling us a little bit about your farm.
2: Uh, we farm in the Southeast corner of the state. We're about 30 miles from the Minnesota border and eight miles from the South Dakota border, extreme Southeast North Dakota, uh, or Canada has Kip colors likes to refer to me as the Northern Canadian farmer. But, uh, farm, around 5000 acres up here me and my dad, uh two brothers, my mom uh has a job off the farm but does uh helps me with the financials and everything on the side. Um just us four covering all the ground. A lot of mainly conventional till. Uh this year we're in our second second year of uh really dry weather. Um so this spring we did uh kind of a variety of everything on our farm. We No-till to uh, minimal till to still had some full conventional till, uh, tried strip till uh, this year for the first time. Pretty excited about that. Um, Really hoping that we can transition to that after seeing the results we've we've seen this year with it. And uh, corn, soybeans uh, haven't grown wheat since 2004. Um, just the economics don't work for us on our operation. There is wheat in the area, barley in the area, sugar beets around us, um, used to raise food grade soybeans, uh, do not do that anymore. We raise seed production for the Kelbaz grow, um, on the soybean side and, uh, basically 50, 50% rotation corn, soybeans
0: up here. Uh let's, let's bring it back to, to Dynamite Ag. Tell us the story about how you first came across this crazy guy with the hair and the, the Facebook Live videos and uh, how you first got plugged into this.
2: Well, you nailed, hit the nail on the head with the crazy hair and this crazy guy because uh, me, me and Kurt intersected on a second attempt plane. Well, it was our second attempt. And we were successful in getting out of San Antonio, Texas, after the Commodity Classic, what was that, Kurt, four or five years ago?
1: Yeah, it's been a now. while.
2: So I was, or me and my girlfriend had got out, gotten on the plane, and we were talking about stuff at the Classic whenever, and Kurt whips around and just like, so you guys farm and stuff, and struck up a conversation, and we didn't really Well, I had your contact information. Didn't really reach out to him much the first year, but I started thinking about stuff, and I started getting frustrated with certain answers I was getting to questions about pushing yield and everything, and it started to get repetitive. And that's when I just I called Kurt, started working with him, started bouncing ideas back and forth, and it's just been a a whole new quest now it's it's exciting to push the status quo on what we're doing now so yep on the tarmac in san antonio texas on delta flight five four something it was (laughs) it was kind of a not how you plan to meet your next uh business venture guy if you want to say that
0: Great things happen in the state of Texas, I'll tell you. Um, What was it about Kurt that made you think he was offering a different perspective?
2: He was bringing – well, when I started reaching out to him, um, it was – all I was getting was, well, try this product out there and see what it does. Well, Kurt would be like, okay, because with his experience with Conklin over the years, he points you in a direction of take a tissue test and then once we get that back, okay, let's, let's do this. Or this doesn't matter as much at this point, but there was more of a strategy to it than let's just go uh, pump some more fertilizer out there or try this or try that. There's, there's some theory behind it that makes you feel a little more comfortable because for years, We would fertilize under irrigation for 200, 220 bushel corn and you'd get there certain years and then the next year you'd fall off. Well, the evolution of tissue testing come around 10 years ago, I suppose, around here, we'd send off tissue tests and they'd come back and we'd say, well, it says we're deficient in like we have an issue with a magnesium problem on one field. We're we're deficient to no end on it we can't seem to catch up well they go up and say well we've never seen an economic return to it but then on the other hand they say your yield is only as good as the bottom stave of the barrel so if you're not going to try and raise the stave you're just going to sit there and since working with kurt on a lot of this stuff it's there's certain ratios we look at now that we think we're on the cusp of why we're having this problem on the field have we figured it out yet no but we know that there is a tie-up being or a tie-up is occurring and now it's just figuring it out whereas if and micronutrients are finally getting addressed on our farm whereas before I'd ask about spreading certain micronutrients or applying certain micronutrients oh, the university says it gets tied up in our soil, it's useless. Well, that's not the answer I want. The answer I want is, okay, the university says that, but how do we overcome that? And that's what Dynamite Ag and Kurt and the group of growers that I now can tap into, we've all experienced different pieces of this puzzle. And like what I'm learning up here could apply to a guy down in Oklahoma and an issue that I run into a year from now, he's probably seen it, or somebody in the network has seen it. So, kind of what Dynamite Egg offers is kind of like a Facebook for the misfit farmer to figure stuff out faster, and not just bank on universities. I'm not saying that the universities aren't valuable, but there's too many book agronomists now that they read it in the book. This is what the professor pounded into their head. And there's no other way around it there. This is, this is what it is. And that's what it is. And that's what kind of bothered me, I guess.
0: Yeah. It sounds like the, the misfit farmer group is, you know, more than anything, a group of, of people who want to, uh, think independently and, and think for themselves and experience things for themselves before they make business decisions based on, you know, on the information. You mentioned like with the micronutrients, you got a lot of, hey, we uh, we we already went down that road. We heard this from the university, et cetera. Uh, how, how has this been in terms of incorporating new ideas? I know you're part of a family farm and, and you're not the only decision maker, uh, I don't think. So how does that work with uh, discussing wild ideas with your family?
2: Well, right away when we started and I introduced Kurt to dad and my brother, Brian, and Kurt said, you need to be addressing these micronutrients. So the light bulb went off and dad said, yes, we've been trying to say that. So that transition was easy, but the transition that's been, I mean, they've went with it and we had great results last year, but the biggest one is playing this placement efficiency game with all of our fertility and uh, it's nerve-wracking at times when you're uh, one you know you're wondering if you put enough fertilizer out there but uh, they they it makes sense once we break it down and look at everything together as a as a group um, so it's there's challenging times when I bring up some of these ideas. My dad, he likes he likes to make sure that there's enough fertilizer out there. Um, me, I look at it as what's what's more economical for the farm. I mean, we've been, I think cash price corn up here today is 302 at the ethanol plant. So I look at it from a number standpoint of, we're gonna save this much money and we're still gonna capture capture our yield goal and uh save the money up front so as far as decision making um I lay it out there Uh, some stuff I just do on a small small scale and they don't really find out about it till I have the results in hand type thing so kind of secretive about a few ideas but they're pretty open to most everything we do because if they don't agree with me Um, Kurt shows them the research and says, you know, kind of that second opinion on it is kind of the, the biggest advantage to helping us make that, make the decisions on these crazy ideas.
0: Great. And I I want to dive specifically into, to one in particular, which is nitrogen. And I could kind of see the, the dynamics of, uh, if Kurt's bringing your research, that's saying, Hey, look, uh, you If you uh, apply the nitrogen this way, you can use a lot less. And then your dad's saying, I have been putting this much nitrogen on this field, and it's what's, you know, uh, it's what's supported the family all of these years. What makes you think we can, you know, uh, decrease the amount of nitrogen, for example, and still make ends meet, right? Uh, Tell me about more about those, the kind of the nitrogen trials and the findings you've had on your farm.
2: Well like you said where where dad's done it this way and he's you know he's put all of his kids or helped put all of his kids through college he's bought land he's bought equipment you know randy Doughty talks about that a lot it's hard to argue with success right well um what got us to switch over was we used to be um just on a few uh, our lighter soils that we couldn't hold well. We based our decision on how much nitrogen off of the soil test, and it was we're going to put this much out in the spring. We're going to come in and side dress a addition, hundred additional units, and for the yield target, and that's what it was. Well, Kurt uh, started telling me about three sixty yield centers and their in their nitrogen focused company. Or a nutrient-focused company, mainly nitrogen. Um, and he said, "I they make this this sensor that'll tell you how much nitrate is in the soil." And I said, "Oh, that sounds interesting because up until three years ago, we'd never pulled a pre-side-dress nitrate test or um, any any soil test to measure how much nitrogen we needed." to obtain a yield goal or to finish the race for environmental conditions. Because on, on our ground, I felt, or now looking back, you know, hindsight, we were moving a lot of nitrogen through our profile before. And that's why our yields were stagnant. Um, Now by running these in season tests, we're being able to say we don't need to put, that much on this field uh we went out at shoulder high corn pull pull nitrate tests and so our nutrient program for corn is uh we run an inferrow program through conklin based off soil tests micronutrients and uh then in addition to that we run this year we only ran 30 pounds of nitrogen down with the planter and that was a combination of 28% 1034 0, and then there was uh, some KTS in there for a K source. Well, this year we made it out to V8, V10 time frame, and we were still pulling adequate PPMs in the root zone, so I wasn't going to run out. Now I go in, or I went in with the Y drops and I placed an additional 84 units on top. I was in a field, well, I was in a different field. This is an irrigated pivot. It's only got, I think, 170 pounds on it. We're shooting for a 250 yield goal on it. I pulled so- foot-long soil scans the other day. In the rut zone, I had anywhere from 130 pounds placed to 100 and 90 pounds in the root zone but I didn't apply that much so what makes what makes it work for us is this placement 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 it's the most important thing on our farm and that's what I told dad after after we did it on 700 acres the first year it just we went with our normal wrecks that we normally would so we bulk spread some and then we used the y drop just top off the tank i didn't start this crazy nitrogen efficiency thing until last year but he's not comfortable with well we're comfortable with it to the point but you're always worried that you're going to run the crop out of N, and that's why i'm doing these nitrogen plots so um you mentioned earlier that you have followed mine and kurt's uh videos on YouTube where we did the nitrogen plot last year, correct? That's right. So last year in that plot, I applied 150 pounds of nitrogen and between the planter and the Y drop down to 45 pounds. It wasn't that what it ended up to be, Kurt, 45 pounds somewhere in there.
1: Yeah. It was like 44.86. So yeah, your, your range was anywhere from about 45 all the way up to about 150.
2: Right. And we what was there a 10 bushel yield difference maybe between them all?
1: Well, yeah, in one case, the, the, uh, the 30 gallon strip, which was your check, uh, actually out yielded everything else. And in the other, that was on the, I think that was the DKC 40. I don't remember what it was. One of them was the, like the 95. One of them was the 96 day corn. So anyway, your 30-gallon strip was the best yielder in one, and in the other, I think your 30-gallon strip may have been the best yielder, but the 10-gallon strip, so the 45 actual units, uh, was the one that ended up getting you the, the greatest return when we did the math on it by like a long ways.
2: Right. And that's what kind of, well, all of last year, I don't know how many times I called Kurt showing that this banding method, you know? Okay, so where I get this idea from is Yes, you have a 160 acre field out there, but how much dirt are your roots actually exploring of that 160 acres? So I feel that on a 160 acres, I'm only, I'm only got roots growing in a third of that. So when you're figuring your fertilizer rates by banding it, I almost give my, I want to give myself a three X, three times rate is what I'm putting in the root zone, but I don't think it's quite that strong. So even if you're at uh, one and a half, so that's where I, that's where I went with the theory last year. And I pulled a lot of soil scans last year that confirmed that you're putting 30 pounds down with a wide drop or with a two by two or with the, you know, right in the root zone, you're getting more fertility than what you think you are. And that's the hardest hurdle to jump over is, yes, I'm only putting, 30 pounds of p or 30 pounds of k or um, 120 pounds of nitrogen but what is that root zone actually seeing and
0: once that soaked into us we we got a little more comfortable with what we're doing before you started doing this how much nitrogen would you put on uh you can take any field you'd like as an example before you started doing this how much nitrogen would you put on and then uh, based on your research, how much do you think you really need to be putting on uh, and what's that cost savings?
2: Um, well, it's quite simple. A uh, yield goal on a particular field times one point or one even or 1.1 was the, old, was the old go-to. So shoot for 175 bushel yield, you're putting 175 to 180 pounds of nitrogen on and um, up until the last two years, majority was that was uh, fall applied, either bulk spread incorporated with uh, chisel plows or uh, deep band with a which is basically a chisel plow with a air system on it. Um, now we are at um, this year. I applied 100, 115 units on everything um, because. Even though we are so dry, when I was side dressing, the potential was still really, really good. And we had gotten, so over the course of the five days I wide dropped, we had uh, some miscellaneous spit showers. They never really developed into measurable rain, but it was enough, I felt, to get the nitrogen down into the root zone. and then after going out, yes, well, this was the first part of the week I went out and pulling tests in the root zone um, by putting, you know, cutting my rate. I still have adequate mo- or adequate nitrogen in the root zone to still hit all my targets. Um, and so the, I think my savings on nitrogen this year, I was trying to do a little math in my head before we, before we got on the air, cause I figured that was gonna come up. I think it's around $20 an acre savings, which adds up pretty quick
0: for us. Yeah, it definitely adds up. But no, I, I mean, and even if we were to assume that of your 5,000 acres, 2,500 of it is in corn, you know, 20 bucks an acre, uh, 50,000 bucks. I mean, that's, that's a significant um, savings. Now, now, Kurt, I, I did watch, uh, I've watched several of your Facebook live videos YouTube videos both. Uh, I, I, I noticed on Facebook when you were out at Scott's Farm talking about this nitrogen and, and applying so much less nitrogen and still getting the bushel per acre uh, that's desired. Uh, you got a few negative reactions. You got kind of the angry emoji to it. Uh, is this controversial? <laughs> and I guess, what, what's the controversy here? And why would this maybe anger some people?
1: Oh, uh, because there are a massive group of people out there, Tim, that think that I'm totally nuts. And they're, they're probably right. I don't know. Um, but what I can tell you is that the numbers don't lie. And yes, what, what we are doing is definitely challenging the status quo. Because like I said, make no mistake, I'm... I'm I'm about as conservative as they come without getting overly political. So I don't, I don't like the whole, like I said, the left co-opting the, the whole uh, sustainable ag thing. But at the same time, we, all of us, I think, have done a really bad job of uh, really polarizing this issue when the reality is that we need to stop thinking about environmental stewardship and economic stewardship as things that are at odds. In reality, they go hand in hand and you will be more successful when you take better care of your ground. Again, so environmental stewardship plus economic stewardship. It just, it just makes sense. With that said, no, it is not the old way of doing things. It's not like Scott said, going out and blowing on. Uh, I've got some farmers I work with in Illinois that joke about the 200, 200, 200, 200 method, which is 200 pounds of anhydrous in the fall, 200 pounds of P and K, and hope for a 200 bushel yield goal. I mean, those, those days are so far behind us, Tim. You and I talked about this on the last podcast. You know, We, we live in a world of precision everything, precision ag and and whatnot. And at the same time, so much of that, I think just makes us feel good and doesn't make any difference. I'm really big on what I call actionable data. So if you're getting pretty field maps, you darn well better be able to do something with them, whether it's yield or NDVI or whatever it is. And I love working with Scott because he cuts out the crap. You know, it's like, okay, does this make us money on our farm? What does this test mean? He's running him. He's talked a lot about the soil scan, which is great, but I know he's also, like you said, running tissue samples. So, you know, what does it mean if you have, you know, adequate, um, adequate parts per million in your soil, but maybe your tissue shows deficient? Or what does it mean if you, you know, have adequate in your soil and the tissue shows fine? So these are questions that we sort through. I mean, it's not like he literally sent me a text message this morning about something and and keep in mind, I'm two hours behind. And this was before we did the the podcast interview. Scott's blowing up my phone talking about, you know, water pH issues. So it's cool because we've really kind of partnered on this deal. and, And he's really taken the bull by the horns in terms of, Um, diving out there looking for the cutting edge research himself and that it makes it fun to work with guys like Scott Um, because yeah I understand that I'm not for everybody I understand that and I'm not so arrogant enough to think that this will work on everybody's farm on every acre but it's about pushing the envelope and pushing the boundaries and how do we do better and you know some people apparently just want to do it the way they had been doing it Um, guys like Scott they want to do better. I think this
0: is just so interesting. I mean we you know tens of thousands of years we've been we've been farming um as humanity and and now we have tools just in the last 20 years um, 20, 30 years that that we've never had to really rethink a lot of assumptions. And that's why I love, you know, second time, Kurt, we've had you on and, and Scott really enjoying uh, this conversation with you that we have these tools to actually look at it on, at a more, to use a buzzword that I hate to use, but at a more granular level where we can actually look at the data and, and really question our assumptions. And that's really you know, a big part of what this podcast is all about is what's the future look like. Yes, we know what the past looks like, and we need to loop that in. But what's the future look like? And I think we we've, we're really hitting on something extremely interesting uh, on this episode. So, uh, first of all, thank you guys both for taking the time. And uh, Scott, if somebody out there wants to reach out to you and, and find out about you, kind of the work you're doing and the firsthand experience you've had with with Kurt, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Are you on Twitter or is it email or what's the best way? Yeah, they can uh,
2: follow me on Twitter at Wet 15 on Twitter or Scott Wetstein on Facebook um, or email Scott Wetstein at hotmail.com. Either way, um, if they're looking for an opinion on it or any sassy comments, I gladly comment back on it. Um, so, yeah, it, more the merrier when it comes to stuff like this. If you're sitting out there and Nobody agrees with what you're doing or what you're the perfect. You already hit the prerequisites to join the the misfit farmers by a long ways. So feel free to drop me a line anyway.
0: Great. Well, you can also, I'll I'll make sure I include that in this, in the show notes. So anyone who's listening can go to uh, aggrad.com. That's A-G-G-R-A-D.com forward slash episode 66. And uh, we'll we'll make sure we include Scott's uh, information in the show notes. And then, of course, Kurt, if uh, somebody's listening and is really intrigued by the work Dynamite Ag is doing and wants to reach out to you directly, what's the best way?
1: Uh, you can always hit me at dynamiteag.com. The best way is probably actually just to call me because I have my cell phone on all the time. It doesn't matter, night or day, um, 641-919-5574. You can also get me Kurt at com, and that's C-U-R-T. And for fun, uh, Tim, cause I was dumb and hadn't done this before. I also just bought the domain name while we've been doing the interview, misfitfarmers.com. So if you'd like to uh, head over there, that'll take you to the dynamite ag page until I get something else built there. But misfitfarmers.com should work too.
0: I love it. I love it. Great. Well guys, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we, uh, We have all had things going on, so I had to reschedule this interview a few times, but I really appreciate uh, you all being willing to share this information because I think it's really going to resonate with some people. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having us, Tim. Appreciate it.
0: You're
2: welcome. Keep your eyes open for this fall's nitrogen plot data too. I'll have that, or me me or Kurt will have that posted as soon as harvest subsides in November, December sometime.
0: Hey, hope you enjoyed that. I I always enjoy talking to uh, Dr. Curtis. I I think his energy is infectious and I, I really think he comes from a place of sincerity uh he genuinely cares about the farmers that he works with and uh i don't know i just uh i, I believe that guy i think he's i think he's the real deal so th- this uh this isn't a sponsored episode by dynamite ag by any means I, I just really wanted to bring him back on and uh excited to share that type of information and i just love somebody who encourages uh independent thought and independent action and i, th- I think that's uh, really a really cool thing that they're doing so encourage you to check out their, their Facebook and their YouTube to, to learn more there. As you probably know, uh, the Future of Agriculture podcast is part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. So especially if you if you enjoy episodes like this that are about farming and kind of get into some of the more um, you know dynamic aspects of farming, I think you really would love the other uh, shows on the network. So visit that at farmruralag.com. Very pleased that we have another uh, rating and review on iTunes. Uh, this one is from Jay Joachin. That's a J-J-O-A-C-H-I-N. Uh, it says, super educational. For somebody thinking about changing career routes, this has this podcast has been incredibly informative. Hey, uh, Jay Joachin, thank you very much for the review. If you are listening right now and you know what iTunes is and you have not gone on and left us a positive rating and review, uh, would really appreciate you doing that. Uh, It's kind of my one ask on this show. It it really helps to uh, provide validation uh, that we are providing good information on the industry of agriculture and would love for more people to find out about this show and and keep it going just as your support has up to this point so really enjoy doing this every week if you have uh, any feedback for me on this episode or any others please hit me up on twitter at tim hamrich i will be back next week upon my return from uh, wyoming the wagon train uh uh, if you're listening to this wagon train is now over but uh, i'll be back in action and uh, we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.